Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. You can think about this as uh, as a fishing net, right? So a fishing net has lots of strands that are connected together in various knots. When you activate one node in memory, you also activate all the nodes that are attached to it. You're not doing any of this because you just feel in a, in a good mood. You do this to gain a return. We used to have pictures of him sitting in the back reading a book whilst going around Venice or something like that. His head was always stuck in a book. It makes me smile today. Don't forget to download the one-page podcast summary which highlights the key takeaways and the recommended actions. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary. We hope it's of use. Ryan, this is the second time we've done a podcast on the five rules. Do you remember the last one? Yes, but I'm not very good with numbers. I can only remember five at a time, essentially. So as we go through these five, the last five are going to be leaving me. Right. Well, that's very good because this one is all about memory. So I'm glad you've not remembered it. I accidentally just cued you right up for that, didn't I? You did. You just lay them up and I'll hit them out of the park. That's right. (laughs) So just a reminder for people, we've started a new series, which is effectively five rules. And this was suggested by one of our listeners. And what we're trying to do is just trying to simplify things, putting things together in a package for people, sort of bite-sized chunks so you can start to understand how all these things fit together. We're planning on doing this sort of once a month, something like that. And we've got a number of different topics that we're going to go through. Last time we talked about customer decision-making. Today, we're going to be talking about how you should make and manage your customers' memories. So how you can make and manage your customers' memories. Okay, so here we go. Memory, how to make and manage customer memory. And let me dive straight into the first one. And that is embrace the fact that customers don't choose between experiences but they choose between the memory of an experience now let me repeat that because i think this is really really fundamental and the first time i i heard this because this is not us this is a guy called professor daniel kahneman he says that embrace the fact that we don't choose between experiences but we choose between the memory of an experience and that for me is really fundamental yeah i mean everything is looking back, isn't it? Right. So whatever you're doing now is based on your previous experiences. Which I even means, remember the beginning of this podcast. It seems like a long time ago, doesn't it? Yeah. 
<laughs> I, I don't know if you're talking about the beginning of, of us studying this podcast or this podcast episode. Both of them feel like a long time ago to me. Both. Yeah. Tell me about it. But it, I mean, it's, it's very simple, but it is very profound. The reason that we need to remember it is based on memory is because memories now are imperfect. They're, they're biased. And so if we're going to plan looking forward, we need to incorporate then the biases that we know influence people's memories of things and plan around that. You know that I love this subject, okay? That I remember, yeah. <laughs> it's seared into your memory now. If you think about it, our very being is shaped by what's happened in the past. If we didn't remember what had happened in the past, we wouldn't be doing the things that we do today. So even when you think about it, even the word learning, if you learn something, there's no point in learning something if you never remember it, because actually learning means that you've learned it, which means that you can recall it, which means it's a memory, which means it helps you make decisions on the future. So the more I look into this whole subject of memory, the more I realize that this for me is absolutely fundamental for gaining customer growth, for identifying unmet needs with customers and I and improving a customer's experience. So embrace the fact that customers don't choose between experiences. They choose between the memory of an experience. And the upshot of that is that that means you should have a plan for customer memories, right? Which is what these five rules are about. Number two sort of follows on from that. So rule two, memories are created by emotions. You know, I'll talk for four hours on these subjects. Any one of these rules I would talk for four hours on. So do you want to dive in here and explain that to the team? Yeah. So the emotions affect a memory in several different ways. One of which is that it facilitates memories. So uh, memories tend to be stronger, tend to be more acute when they're associated with strong emotions. It's also the case that people remember emotions themselves. There's this old saw about people won't remember what you did for them, but they'll remember how, how they felt about it. That's not necessarily based in science specifically, but it is consistent with a lot of science, right? It, you, there are nodes in your mind associated with how you felt about things. Emotions facilitate memories, and they are also an important part of memory. I think if you just dive back in, I, I always think of my kids when they were young, and my son used to read, or well, he still does it, but he used to read avidly. And we would be taking him around the world to all of these wonderful places. <laughs> and, and we used to have pictures of him sitting in the back, reading a book whilst going around Venice or something like that. His head was always stuck in a book. And that's become a bit of a sort of a family joke. But the point I'm making is, it makes me smile today. So you've got like that. I always think of this as sort of like an email attachment. You've got the memory, but you've also got an email attachment of emotions that go along with it that make you smile or make you sad, depending on, on what the experience is. That's actually a great metaphor to use, the, the email and the attachment. There are other parts of memory that have been documented to work exactly that way. So there's, without getting us too much on a tangent, the way that people decide whether something is true or false in memory terms is very much the way that you describe it. So when you process information, 
you process it first as if it were true. And then there's this, this email attachment that gets added to it that says, yeah, no, but this is false. And the way they've, they've discovered this process is over time, sometimes that false flag, that email attachment falls away. It gets lost. And so people come to believe things that are false in part sometimes because of the, the attachment metaphor that you just used, right? The idea that these memories are assembled, cobbled together in the way that you described is very much the case, right? And so we can have these memories and then these attachments that come along with them and, and emotions would be a very important one of those. And this therefore ties into the whole rule, which is the peak end rule. And this is Professor Daniel Kahneman, who's won the Nobel Prize for Behavioral Economics. And what Kahneman talks about is the fact that what we remember in an experience is we remember the peak emotion that we felt, the, you know, the strongest emotion or the highest emotion, intensity, all that stuff. And we remember the end emotion that we felt. And therefore, for me, that raises, again, a number of key issues. Our regular listeners would have heard this a number of times from me, but the key questions then that raise for me are, so where is the peak emotion in your customer experience? What emotion is being felt today? What emotion do you want to be felt at the peak and at the end? That needs to be an emotion that drives value. So in other words, you need to get something from it. You need to gain growth. You need to gain improvements in net promoter score, customer satisfaction, you know, however you you get value from the experience you're providing. So peak end rule is about customer emotions. And rule number two, uh, memories are created by emotions. Okay, rule three. So rule three is map your customers' fishing nets. Now, this is a great analogy that Ryan introduced me to a little while ago. And as a keen fisherman, I guess it's sort of in my memory. It made me go, bloody, that's a good one. So Ryan, tell me about fishing. Love to. All right. So one of the big ideas in memory is that memories are connected together in a network structure. So... Think about each little aspect of the memory as being a node, kind of a, a little knot or, or a, a bubble, and then there are links connecting those knots together. So you can think about this as uh, as a fishing net, right? So a fishing net has lots of strands that are connected together in various knots. The way that this network memory model works is that when you activate one node in memory, you also activate all the nodes that are attached to it. If we were to think about this as, as a metaphor, think about a fishing net that you lay down at the bottom of a shallow pool. When you pick up one knot in the fishing net and pull it up towards the surface... And that one knot is a memory, yeah? And that one knot is some kind of memory. You are also pulling up around it the knots that are connected to it. They're less activated, they're less close to the surface, but they're still now more close to the surface. And that's the idea with, with memory. When you activate one memory, you're not just activating one piece of information, you're activating a, a whole network of things that surround it. Other memories, other emotions, other thoughts and feelings. That's my metaphor for explaining network memory structures. So let me add to your fishing net, because I think it's a great analogy. So a couple of things. One is... The shallow pool that, that Ryan's talking about there, when you're pulling that knot up, previously, when it's below the surface, it's part of your subconscious. So it's still affecting you, but you're just not aware of it. 
when you're pulling that knot up and it breaks the surface, now it is your conscious. That's your aware of it. So this is a bit like saying, where did I go on my last vacation? I'm now thinking back to my last vacation. I'm thinking about when I went to Rome and I'm pulling it up and I'm now looking at it. The associated links that are around it could be, well, the flight that I took there could be about the hotel, could be about the fact that at Pastor in overlooking the Colosseum, all those different things. They're not necessarily they're not necessarily strictly related to it. Could be things you learned about Rome in high school, right? If, yeah, if those yeah, things are all connected. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what was that film? Gladiator, Gladiator. wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. We haven't talked about Gladiator enough on this podcast, I think. No, we haven't. Really good film. So it's all of those things, all right? Yeah, absolutely. And some of those will also break the surface of this pool. Some of these things you will remember. You know, you might be walking with your wife next to the Coliseum and, and say, oh, this reminds me of that film Gladiator, right? Because you, you're you now aware of it. There may be other things that still stay below the surface, but now they're closer. And so they can have more influence on you. Maybe you have a sudden craving for gelato because that's something that you associate with Rome and with Italy. And it doesn't actually break the surface. You don't actually consciously think about it. You just have this craving. And so you start to act on that because it's closer to the surface. Training your frontline team on how to create memories in your customers by evoking their emotions. Beyond Philosophy's unique and proven training methodology, Memory Maker Training. Contact Beyond Philosophy by going to beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. So let's again try to make this practical. So the issue for me and the big idea for me behind this is mapping and going back to the rule, map your customer's fishing net. Okay, so because of all those experiences, because of all those memories, that can influence how you feel and the experience that you're then having. Okay, and we've done a couple of podcasts where we've, and again, sort of the big idea here is around the fact that AI will be able to start to help you map that fishing net and help you to create that fishing net. And AI ultimately will be able to therefore predict how the customer's feeling and suggest the new experience going forward. The big idea in the sort of the here and now is mapping your customer's fishing net. So thinking about all the things that influences how that one knot of that fishing net and thinking about where can you get information about that so you can understand and hopefully predict how the customer's feeling. So taking on board the, or taking the analogy of going to Rome one step further, before they went there, what was their map like? How could we create a really good experience when they get there based upon all the experiences they've had before and how can we help to influence what things are like when they are there as, as well? Good. Number four, define what you want your customers to remember. Okay. So given that memories are really important, given that you want your customers to have a positive memory, yeah, then which parts of your experience do you want them to remember the most? And to me, the part that you want them to remember the most 
is the parts that drive most value for you. So again, you're not doing any of this because you just feel in a in a good mood. You do this to gain a return, okay? So for me, again, what you've got to do is you've got to undertake some research. And people know that we have a, a special form of research that we use called an emotional signature, which helps you define what drives value, so which emotion drives most value for you, and what part of your experience drives most value for you. And once you've got that information, you can then start to turn around and say, okay, so this is the part that we need to focus on because this part here is the really important part that drives value. Now, how do we start to create a really positive memory around that experience? Does that make sense? Yeah, that's great. So in terms of making managing memories practical, there are really two very important aspects of it. And this rule number four gets at the first of them, which is what's going into people's memory. How do you make something memorable? And, and the first step of that, as you point out, is to, to choose what is it that you want to be remembered? And then you can develop strategies around making sure that that gets into people's minds, right? Drawing attention to it, tying it to strong positive emotions, repeating that element of it, uh, articulating it. All those things will help get it into memory. So figure out what it is and develop a strategy around inserting it into people's minds. So if you remember, Ryan, when we went down to the insurance company in Atlanta. I feel like this is a test, Colin, asking me if I remember something <laughs> on a podcast about memory. I'm not going to answer. Is. So you, whatever the right answer is. I'm, I'm trying to define what emotion it made you feel when you were down there. But we went down to see an insurance company in Georgia. And clearly, we did some research and we discovered that one of the most important points of an insurance company is clearly when it comes to a, a claims experience particularly if you're in the healthcare industry. Focusing on the claims experience and the memory of the claims experience becomes key. So, but now you need to sort of splice this up a bit further. Well, what part of the claims experience and how is it that that claims experience is key? And what we discovered was it's about empathy. Is the person that's dealing with this claim empathetic to the customer? And empathy doesn't mean they give the customer everything they want. It means they can put themselves in their shoes, they understand how they're feeling, et cetera, et cetera. But again, I want to sort of tie this to some practical things because some practical things start to come out of going, okay, well, if it's the claims experience that's really key and if it's empathy that's really key, then guess what? We need to ensure that we recruit people who are naturally good at, empathy, you know, making customer feel that they're being empathetic. And we need to train people on how to make the customer feel that they're being empathetic. And we need to measure in the core quality standards and stuff like that, whether the customer feels that they are being empathetic or not. So again, big picture, it's not, this is not just about a big theory. It's about dragging it down into the detail of okay, so what does this mean? So rule four, define what you want your customers to remember. And once you've done that, then getting into the practical detail of, of how do you do it? Yep. 
I'm glad you remembered going down there anyway. So I'm glad that the three-hour journey from Atlanta down there was worthwhile and I clearly made an impression on you. You know what? If I'm honest, I didn't remember. I just felt like it would be less awkward if I said I did. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, number five. Discover how customers retrieve their memory. Okay? So this is the bit, Ryan, isn't it, of I'm picking up the knot. So at the moment, the fishing net's at the bottom of the lake or the whatever. I'm now going to pick this knot up and have a look at it. Yes. So this is the second part of managing a memory, right? The first part is getting that information into long-term memory where it can uh, be stored. But that does you no good if people don't pull it back out of memory at the time that you need them to. And that's the key, isn't it? Well, they, I mean, they both need to happen, but yes, it, it, that's exactly the key. If I remember it later when I'm sitting on my couch, uh, it's too late for you, right? You need it to happen at that moment of decision. That was about the, I think we mentioned in the last one that we did about you know, the toothpaste and you getting a promotion about the toothpaste. Well, you tell the story because you tell it better than me. Well, I mean, it's a fascinating story about toothpaste. You're a fascinating um, person, mate. I don't, don't, don't decry yourself. In the last one of these podcasts that we did about five rules, I, I told the, the riveting story. It was my my own Wuthering Heights uh, about buying toothpaste. And, and I this, the story is that basically I saw a commercial for toothpaste and I found the commercial compelling. And then I decided I was going to buy that brand of toothpaste next time I went to the store. But I didn't remember the message when I was at the store. And it took several, several iterations of my buying toothpaste before I finally remembered to buy the toothpaste brand because I remembered at the store. So you need you need a plan not just for getting it into customers' minds, but also a plan for getting it back out, for having that rise back to the surface. And that's the key, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. It's great that it actually they actually got it into your memory, but <laughs> where they failed was to get you to retrieve it, recall it at the time that was most important, which was when you were walking down the toothpaste aisle. Yeah. Yeah. That one of my favorite studies about this, these researchers at Stanford had a group of students fill out a food journal for a couple of weeks. So this, they were supposed to write down everything that they ate. At the midway point of that study, they brought them in for what was supposed to be an unrelated study where they were asked to evaluate some slogans that were to encourage university students to eat more fruits and vegetables. So they evaluated one of several slogans. The one that was least popular, that they they disliked the most, and I'm going to not get it exactly right, but it was something to the effect of eat fruits and veggies every day, make sure you've got veggies on your dining hall tray, something like that. And people thought it was terrible. They thought that's a terrible slogan. Lo and behold, that was the slogan that worked. All the other slogans about how important it was to eat fruits and vegetables and how nutritious and how healthy, people read those slogans and agreed with them and thought that's a great idea. The only one that worked had a memory cue embedded in it. So when you go to a cafeteria at a university, the first thing you do is pick up your dining hall tray. And by picking that tray up, some part of the brain went, oh, there was something I was supposed to remember. That, oh, right, fruits and vegetables. And it worked, right? All these other ones that didn't include a memory cue, there was no reason for people to remember the message at the point where it mattered. And that, for me, is really fascinating stuff. The And again, if you go back to it, if you think about going down the toothpaste aisle, they obviously have 
branding down the toothpaste aisle. They have points of sale pointing at different toothpaste to try to and and the branding would be the same between what they've seen on tv or what was in the offer and the offer there to help trigger that memory at that point so i think in terms of advertising people do a a good job at getting some of these things out i mean think of things that go viral think of the intel advert the the audio clip was it dung ding dung or whatever it is maybe i've got that wrong (laughs) um but all those sort of audio clips just think of when you're in a, a restaurant and someone's Apple phone goes off and everyone looks around because they've all got the same ringtone. The key part for me here, and it's fundamentally important because you could have built a, built a great memory, but what's the point if you don't get the customer to exactly. use it so, at the, yeah. most important, the most important time? No, I'm, I make a distinction when I'm teaching between great advertising and great marketing. There's lots of great ads that are terrible marketing for various reasons. But one of them is this no care for retrieval. You know, you can have this brilliant piece of advertising. It's entertaining and it's it's pithy and emotional, but there's no particular reason why people would remember it when they're in the grocery store aisle or or when they're choosing an insurance broker. So what's your plan for retrieval? You, you need a plan for encoding, but what's your plan for retrieval too? And a couple of other things to add to that is it's about how people use words and how you think about pushing ideas in people's minds. I can't remember the exact person that that, that quoted this, but it was about there was some study where they were trying to understand customers' memories. They showed them this accident between two cars, and one of them they described that it was a crash. And then a few days later or something, they turned around and said, was there any glass on the floor. Now, there wasn't any glass on the floor, but when the people that were told that the two cars had crashed had actually sort of now invented the fact that there was glass on the floor, is that what that's what they thought that they remembered? Because the word crash implies something large and therefore there would be glass on the on the floor. The interesting bit for me here is you can alter customers' memories. So I don't want to use the word manipulate, but customers' memories are being altered all the time. And the key part for me here is there is a real big danger that what you are doing is you are reinforcing or making worse a bad memory. Let me give you an example of this. The example is, so let's now imagine that we're pulling that knot from under the surface, we're examining that knot, what we are now doing is we're saving back that memory, okay? Now, that memory may be added to by the environment and things that are then happening around it, okay? It doesn't get saved perfectly back in the state that it was in before, which is why when you go, when we went on the trip to Rome, oh, it was so good because this happened and that happened and that happened. And that's basically building that memory up. It's, you know, it's reinforcing the the good memory. But the same applies in the opposite way to customer complaints. If you tell a customer they have to repeat the same complaint or the same bad service they've had from you to you know 47 times to 47 different people because of the process that you're putting them through, guess what? That's going to make the experience they have or the memory of that experience they have even worse. This is the science of memory, right? It, the science says that every time we remember something, we are are essentially destroying that memory and then rewriting it back into memory. 
every time you remember something. So our memories are not perfect replicants of what actually happened. They're constantly being changed and adjusted and refined. And in the process of that, it is very common for the valence of the memory to get more extreme. So good memories get better and bad memories get worse over time. The more we remember and overwrite and adjust these things. So yeah, to your point, if people have a a bad experience with your company and then they have to repeat that to you and then they have to, it gets moved up to the next level of management and they have to repeat that experience again and then it moves up and they have to repeat it again. They are rewriting that memory every time it happens and it's going to change a little bit each time. And there's every reason to believe that it's going to change in the direction of getting more extreme. What can you do to minimize that experience for your customers and and to refine those memories in as positive a way as you can? Great. Okay. So let's just go back over those five rules. And please remember, if you want to download a one-page summary of this, just go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary. The five rules are, one, embrace the fact that we don't choose between experiences, but we choose between the memory of an experience. Number two, Memories are created by emotions. So what emotions are you trying to evoke? And the whole area of peak end rule. Number three, map your customers' fishing nets. Okay, so think about the fishing nets that you've we've been referring to and map your customers' fishing nets. Number four, define what you want the customer to remember. So what parts of your experience do you want the customer to remember? Number five, Discover how your customers retrieve their memories. So what memories are they retrieving? How do you want them to retrieve them? How are they going to be affected by that retrieval? How can you make that retrieval more positive? So discover how your customers are retrieving their memories. So we hope that's been of use to you. If you have any other suggestions of in the sort of five rule series that you would like us to cover, then please just let us know. Just drop a line to contact at beyondphilosophy.com. Uh, that's contact at beyondphilosophy.com and we look forward to talking to you next week cheers this has been the intuitive customer with colin shaw and professor ryan hamilton but it doesn't end here just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.